0: It's good to be here again with you, it's always a pleasure to be here at Tabernacle Baptist Church, Uh, you are real friends of our ministry and it's always good to be here with Pastor Spearbeck and all of you and Pastor Harvey and Brother Hammond and Brother Holman and Zach and his family and and everybody again and uh, it's just a blessing to be able to report and to thank you personally for your support. And uh, it's always a blessing to be able to tell our churches personally that we're thankful for your prayers and also your support. And uh, we will be praying for uh, Pastor Harvey's wife, Joy. Uh, I went to school with him. We were roommates together, and so I have a burden for that. So we'll be praying for that as well. Uh, Turn in your Bibles, please, to Colossians, Colossians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 4, as you saw in the presentation, we've been very busy the last four years, had a lot of new ministries that we didn't have before. We had also prison ministry for, for a while, uh, we were in a prison, a rather large prison, 5,000 prisoners. But we had uh, found grace in the eyes of the director. He really enjoyed our program. We took the "Are uh, You Addictions?" program that we have in our church, and then uh, we now have in the street in our street mission. We took it there, and uh, we started with about 30, uh, 30 men in a clinic that they had there—a clinic for addictions and. Uh, the, the people there and, uh, really liked it so much that they kept on giving us new groups, and pretty soon we had a 100 every Saturday that we were dealing with. We got to see them grow in the Lord. I think of one man named Ben-Hameen, he, uh, uh, he just had one leg. His one leg was cut off because of his past, but he uh, said, Pastor, when I get out of prison, the first thing I'm going to do is come to your church. Sure enough, one day, we saw Ben-Hameen come in with his crutches on the back, and uh, he had taken two buses to get to the church. Uh, he lived for quite a while, ways away, but uh, it was just a blessing to work with those men until COVID took place, and then uh, we weren't allowed in there anymore. Uh, but uh, now they've opened it back up to groups. The only thing is they want people to take the jab, and I'm not willing to take the jab. So pray that they remove that that obstacle so that we could get back in there again. Uh, Colossians chapter 4 in your Bibles. Um, I have a burden to see churches, and I know churches pray, but just to emphasize the need for prayer on the mission field. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. It says here, let me turn my on. I don't think I'm on yet. Okay, it says here in the passage, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Continue in prayer, and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all praying also for us, that God would open to us a door of utterance. To speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would use this message, God, to encourage us to pray as we ought to for the mission field. There's no better thing that a, a, a church can do, a pastor can do, than, uh, of course, uh, giving is important. But there's nothing more important, I believe, for us missionaries than that churches Pray for us. And Lord, I pray that this message would be a message that not only would inform how to pray, but also would uh, promote the ideal of praying. And God, uh, what you could do uh, in, a lot, in a ministry, how you could change the dynamics of a missionary and in his ministry through the prayer of a church. Lord, I pray that you just give me words to say, that you give me powers I preach. Pray these things in your name. Amen. There was a a pastor back in the 19th century. His name was A.J. Gordon. He was a, a very well-known pastor at the time. He pastored a church in Boston. Uh, he was asked by D.L. Moody many times to come to his Northfield conference to pray, to preach. Uh, he also started a Bible college that's still in existence today. It's called the Gordon College. It's in Massachusetts, and he started it to train uh, missionaries to go to the Congo. So he had a burden for missions. He was a prolific writer, but above all, he was a man of prayer. And he said these words one day, prayerless giving will never evangelize the world. Think of that. Prayerless giving will never evangelize the world. It's great to give. We couldn't be on the mission field if it wasn't for people giving. We Couldn't stay on the mission field if it wasn't for giving. But all all the giving in the world will not be able to evangelize the world if there's not prayer uh, upholding and and being uh, given out to those who are on the mission field. Uh, Paul, the missionary, was writing to the church in Colossus here in our text, and he is urging them to pray that God would open a, that uh, God would that they would pray that God would open a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ. Notice that he uses a word here that encourages me in verse three. It says, "With all praying for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance." So Paul wasn't just praying. Uh, that God, uh, he wasn't just asking that this church would pray for him, but that he would pray for all of his uh, missionaries that worked with him, the team of missionaries that worked with him. And by extension, I believe he was also asking for prayer for all missionaries everywhere in all time, even today in the 21st century. And so studying tonight's uh, the word of God, I want us to see some doors with respect to missions for which we as the church of God should be praying uh, the first door, uh, first of all, before we see these doors, uh, I want us to see the one that to whom we are praying. Uh, uh, we pray to a great God. Amen? amen. And it's a great God that can open doors and and can shut doors. Turn with me, please, to Revelation chapter three. Revelation chapter three. Let's look at verses seven and eight. Revelation chapter three and seven, and eight. And let's see to whom we are praying. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, it says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things is he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut. Praise God, we pray to a God that can open doors that, that are shut. Amen? And uh, no man can keep them shut when God wants to open them. In fact, if you think about it, uh, the gates of hell are doors. Amen? They're doors. Uh, to, uh, and there's a misunderstanding many times about the gates of hell. Many people think, well, that means uh, when Jesus said that the gates of hell should not prevail against the church, that the church should be uh, like a fortress and be uh, defending itself against the gates of hell. Well, that doesn't even make grammatical sense, does it? And what it's talking about is that uh, we should be charging towards the gates of hell and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church as the church uh, rescues the devil's captives that are behind those gates, rescuing them from his will. And, uh, God wants to open up those gates. Amen. He wants to bust those doors wide open that we may be able to rescue those that are behind those gates. And that's what I want us to look at today, some of those doors that God wants to open. And the first door that I see is the effectual door. The effectual door. Paul speaks of an effectual door in 2 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse verses 8 and 9. We see the effectual door. It says in verse 8, and I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. So Paul is in Ephesus. He's writing to the church of Corinth and he says, I will tarry there because there's a great door open, he said, for a great door and effectual is open unto me and there are many adversaries. Now that word effectual there comes from the word energes. It's a Greek word that means, uh, well, great means it comes from the word mega. That's that's pretty obvious. But the word effectual comes from the word "energês," which means like energy or power. So it has that uh, idea, but also uh, comes from the word uh, that we use for efficiency, effectual efficiency. Uh, efficiency means producing a desired effect. If you have a, for, for example, if you're a mechanical engineer, you have a machine, and it's an efficient machine. That means it's a machine that's completing the purpose for which it was built. It's completing a desired effect. That's what effectual means here. When this door was open, it was creating an effect that had been desired. Where's that desire? Well, we'll see it in a minute. But I want us to look at that door, what Paul was talking about. To be able to see the door that was open, you have to go to Acts chapter 19. So go to Acts chapter 19 with me, please. And we'll see the door that was open. This, this is exciting. Acts chapter 19, verse 8. We see Paul going to the synagogue of Ephesus. That's where he usually would go when he would start a work, when he would start evangelizing a town. He'd go to the synagogue and start preaching. That's what he did here in verse 8. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. Then this Bible says something that happens often when a work is started. I'm sure uh, Pastor Harvey remembers this when he started the church here, Tabernacle Baptist Church. It wasn't easy, amen? It's not easy to restart a church either, is it? Uh, But uh, one of the things that we see when that happens is there are divers that are hardened, amen? Uh, There are people that don't want to hear the gospel. There are people that uh, do not believe, and there are people that speak evil the way. That's what took place here in verse 9. See what it says, and when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil away before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. Things aren't very, uh, things aren't new. <laughs> There's nothing new under the sun. Even back in those days when they would evangelize the area, there are people that didn't believe In here in Ephesus. There are people that believe not. There are people that were hardened. Now who are they hardened by? Who's the one that hardens their hearts? Satan. Does that because he doesn't want anyone to get uh, those uh, to rescue those captives that are behind the gates of hell. So he hardens the hearts of the people and people even speak evil of the way. I'm sure nobody has ever spoke evil of Tabernacle Baptist Church. Amen. Uh, nobody's ever speaking evil of this church. It's always got great things to say because we love the people here in Colleen. Amen. And uh, we, I'm sure you do all that you can to help people here in Colleen. Nobody would be against this church. Uh, that's not that way. It wasn't for us. It wasn't that way for us in uh, Liberty Baptist Church in Mexico either. When we first got there, our neighbors were real friendly. First thing they did is they uh, complained to the government that we weren't zoned to be there, and so we had to prove that we were zoned, and uh, that took us some uh, took us a while to do, but we were able to do it. And then uh, they tried to say that we were uh, we had, we were far above the decimal level that uh, that was accepted by the ordin- city ordinance, and we had to prove that. That was easy to prove because uh, the churches down the road with uh, all their scandal with, uh, uh, with uh, drums and electric guitar that was pretty easy to prove that we weren't <laughs> that far above as much as they were so um, that was pretty easy to prove but there was opposition and there was, opposi- there was opposition in the day of Paul as well and, uh, but the Bible says in verse 10 and this continued by the space of two years so we have two years of people believing not Two years of people's hearts being hardened, hardened to the gospel. Two years of people not believing, even speaking evil the way. Uh, things were going that well for, uh, for Paul. But in the midst of that, look what it says in verse 10. But all, all they that dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now it doesn't say that all that were in Asia believed. What it said is, all of Asia heard the gospel. What are you saying, Brother Clint? What I'm saying is, in spite of the opposition, in spite of hearts being being hardened, in spite of people not believing the way, uh, uh, speaking evil the way, and not believing, Paul did what he was supposed to do. Amen? And he and his band of preachers, they went and they knocked the doors. They, 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 They told people about the Lord. Not only all those in Ephesus, all those in Asia that's what we need to do in spite of the opposition. Oh, yes, there'll be people that'll be hardened to the gospel. And I, I, I have to be honest, it's not as easy as it was back in the 80s. Brother Harvey remembers that. Remember back in the 80s how easy it was to witness to people. I was just a young person at the time. I was just a teenager. But I remember we'd go out as teenagers even, and we'd knock doors, and we'd come back talking about the people that we were able to witness to. And almost every time there was at least one or two people that even trusted in the Lord. It's not that easy, Brother Spearbeck, today, is it? Uh, We're just happy if we got a track into a door sometimes, amen? (laughs) uh, But uh, it was hard back then. But you know what? We still have a responsibility to make sure that everyone hears the gospel, amen? We made sure when we started a church there, uh, Mexico City divided into 16 different delegations. You got 22 million people. uh, And and I realized soon that my one church is not going to reach 22 million people. So uh, what we decide is, well, our delegation has 400,000 people. We're going to make sure at least those 400,000 people hear the gospel so we have knocked every door every street in that area of 400,000 people we made sure that they got 50,000 John Romans one time we went by another time and passed out over 70, uh, 60,000 New Testaments we wanted to make sure that everyone had a chance to hear the gospel we're doing it for the second time we're almost done it took us 13 years the first time to knock every door and now the second time we've done it in about five years well it helps when you got more people doing it amen and, uh, but uh, we, we want to make sure that everyone hears the gospel and Paul did the same thing and there may be people who do not want to hear but it's our responsibility to make sure that everyone has a chance to hear amen and that's how and God blesses when we do that you know I consider it when we come to an area Uh, and start a work. I'm a Marine. Once a Marine, always a Marine. Amen. And uh, when we start an area, uh, evangelizing area, it's like establishing a beachhead for the Lord. Amen. We establish a beachhead, but then we look for opportunities. And I call it probing. We start probing just like when people go on, the Marines go on a patrol and they look for a weakness in the enemy lines. Basically, that's what we do when we start Different programs, whether it's a bus ministry or whether it's a nursing home ministry or whether it's a, a, a street mission or whether it's whatever outreach activity that that we have. We're probing. We're looking for opportunities for doors to open. And, and that's what happened to us one time. Uh, we started a, a, a ministry uh, uh, when we started our ministry. We wanted to have a military ministry from the very beginning, just like you all have here. And so we passed out 20,000 invitations. The problem was we couldn't get on the military base, but we could get off onto off. There was some off-base housing. It was like a little city for, but it was all officers. No no enlistment, all officers. They had their own uh, mall there, their own school there and everything. So we we were able to get on there and we passed them out. And so when we started our church, we didn't have any enlisted men, but we had officers. We had several officers. Our church was small. We started with a church of about 35 people, and uh, we had uh, majors and colonels and captains. But we didn't have any enlisted men. And I pretty soon we moved from there. In fact, when we started our church, our back in the back of the back of uh, my pulpit was the window to the garden of the. Air Force Headquarters, the Air Force Headquarters of the entire Air Force of the United uh, of Mexican Air Force, and uh, and then uh, we started a church. And once we were there for ten months, we moved into a house, and right in the back of our house lived a Colonel, uh, a General, General Camacho, and uh, he started attending our church. And uh, then he started bringing one of his uh, uh, his chauffeur, his his driver, uh, to the church. And then I so I talked to Pastor uh, Brother uh, Brother Camacho, uh, General Camacho, and I said, What if we what if you uh, drove, your your chauffeur drove us on the base, and uh, he said I could do better than that, and he had me in his office, and he had one of the generals come, the general in charge of the base housing, and he said uh, he he talked to him, and the general gave him the okay for us to go on on the base. Our chauffeur drove us on. We made up some real good tracks and some uh, uh, invitations for Bible, military Bible study. And we went on base and we started passing them out into all the different apartments. Well, a, a convoy of trucks came and the soldiers got out of there and they gathered us all together. And uh, the, the officer uh, politely said we had to leave. And and we left. And what happened is, although we had permission, in fact, we went past the administration of the base housing. And they said, yeah, we know you're coming. No problem. Go ahead. But the commandant of the whole base didn't know we were going to be there. And he was pretty upset. In fact, the general later on said he could have went to jail over it. He didn't go to jail, but praise God. But uh, it was a big scandal and everything. And we ended up having to go to the government and they uh, and they had to tell us what we can do, what we can't do and things like that. But uh, the great thing, and so the door was shut. Apparently, the door was shut. But praise God, a young man, a soldier who was in the uh, uh, the escorts for the uh, Secretary of Defense got off track. Amen. And he started coming to our church, and uh, he was uh, he was un, he was saved. But his but he in fact he was a pastor's son. But he got away for the Lord, and he joined the army, and then he married an unsaved woman. Well, they started coming to our church. The unsaved. A wife got saved. Amen. And then, uh, then their daughters got saved and her daughter for VBS started bringing all her friends. And through that, families started coming. Military families. Ordered, now we had enlisted men. And, now we ha- and then we started a bus route and now they can go in there and knock all the doors that they want. Amen. What we couldn't do, they do every Saturday. Amen. God opened up the door. God can open up doors. God opened up the door here in Ephesus as well. And we as as missionary, as, as churches, need to be praying. In fact, remember when I talked about that effectual door? That reminds me of another word where we see, uh, that reminds me of another place in the Bible where we see the word effectual. Turn with me, please, to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Remember that word effectual? We see that word here in James chapter 5. Verse 16. James chapter 5, verse 16. James chapter five verse sixteen it says, "Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed." There's that word. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. As I said, that word "effectual" means powerful or fervent. Like it says here, it comes. Both of those words come to the same word "energês," but it also means to cause an effect or to produce a desired effect. The desire was expressed through prayer. And then we saw, see the results in Ephesus. But it was because people were praying. How do you know that? Well, turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Not long before Paul went to Ephesus, he penned these words that we see here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul, after he penned these words, actually took a survey trip to Ephesus. He, when, he, when he wrote these words, he was in Corinth. And he wrote to the Thessalonians. And then from there, he took a survey trip to to Ephesus and preached a little bit there. They wanted him to stay, but he said, no, I have to go to Jerusalem. He goes to Jerusalem to the feast. Then he works his way back to Ephesus. And when he gets to Ephesus, uh, is where the doors are open. So he had written this a few months or years before he went to Ephesus. And what did he write? Look what he wrote. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. That's what happened in Ephesus. Where, Pastor, we'll return back to Acts 19. Remember when I was saying that they were having a hard time? They weren't seeing people saved. They were, they, they, they were, I'm sure they were seeing some people say, but it wasn't easy. Divers were hardened. People weren't believing. People were speaking evil the way. And then the Bible says after two years of this going on, they were making sure everyone heard the gospel. When God did something in verse 17. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. Fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnifying. There was an exorcism that took place. It went bad. Some unsaved people were trying to get a devil out of an unsaved man. And it didn't go well, go well for him. In verse 16, in fact, it says that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. But then God did something. Fear fell on all these Ephesians that before were hardened to the gospel, before were speaking evil away, before were not believing, suddenly fear comes on upon them. The Lord... Jesus, and his name is magnified, it says in verse 17. Many believe, confess, and show their deeds. Many of them also, use, they use curious arts, bring their books together. They burn them before all men. Just like those book burnings back in the 18, uh, I remember back in the 1980s, they had record burnings. They take record. Some of you don't know, you young people, you don't know what a final record probably is but anyways, they would burn records. There were these little discs that would turn around. I had a little needle that, that made noise. And But uh, I don't know what they would be today. MP3 burnings, maybe MP4 burnings. But, uh, but, but revival took place here. The Bible says in verse 20, And mightily the word of God grew, says so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Hmm, where's that word prevail? Where did we see that? Well, didn't we see that back in James? The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer availeth much. The word of God prevailed. The word of God was magnified, just like we read there in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. What was the prayer? The prayer was that the word of God would have free course. Did the word of God have free course in Ephesus? Yes or no? Yes, it did. And why did it? Because of the prayers of the Thessalonians. Oh, Thessalonians, I'm sorry. That's what we need to do is pray. Amen. God opened up the door. Just like God opened up the door there in Mexico City on the military base, God can open up doors, but we need to pray for the effectual door to be open. Then a second door that needs to be opened is a door of utterance. The door of utterance. Uh, Back in our text, if you want to go back there to uh, Colossians, there was a man named John Gill. He was a great preacher. In fact, he pastored Spurgeon's Church about 100 years before Spurgeon. And he wrote a great, he was a great uh, man of commentary. He wrote commentaries. His name was John Gill. John Gill, writing about uh, Colossians uh, chapter four, he says, God opens doors of opportunity. God opens men's hearts and God opens the doors of of Christians' mouths. And that's what utterance is all about. We'll read that here in verse three. It says, With all praying also for us that God would open to us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as they ought to speak. So what does that mean, the door of utterance? It's it's a strange word, isn't it, utterance? Well it, you look at the text here and you can see a little bit of what it's talking about. It's talking about speaking as one ought to speak. In fact the word here is lagas. It means it means word expression of ideal and doing it in a way where one speaks as they ought to speak to speak with boldness. In fact, we'll look at it in Ephesians. If you want to go there, to Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter six. It gets a little more clearer here what it means to speak, what what the doors of utterance are all about. In Ephesians six eighteen, Paul is asking to pray again. He's asking for prayer, praying also with all, always with all prayer and, and supplication in the Spirit and washing therein too with all perseverance, supplication for all saints, and for me that utterance, there's that word again, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth to make the, known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And so what it is, what is it to this utterance? It's speaking boldly, speaking boldly. In fact, we see that word utterance also in Acts chapter uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it comes from a word, apathagamai, which means to speak forth, to speak with elevated and dignified discourse, to speak with power. Is referring to when uh, the people came out of the upper room. Remember, the saints came out of the upper room on the day of Pentecost, and they were all astonished at what they heard. That's what it's talking about. It's the same word that's used, apathagamai is used in verse 14 when... Uh, when uh, Peter stands up and he speaks and 3,000 people get saved. It's the same word that's used when Paul in Acts 26, 25 speaks to uh, Agrippa, Herod Agrippa, and Agrippa says, almost thou, he's under such conviction that he says, almost thou hast persuaded me to become a, a Christian. Apathagamai, utterance, or or it's logos in, in, in other passages, but it's saying the same thing, to speak with boldness and with power. It's, a, it's a boldness with with which we see in Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter uh, 4, if you want to go there, Acts chapter 4. And you have to remember when they came out of the upper room, what had they been doing for 10 days? They'd been praying, amen? And that's why they came out speaking with apathagamai, with boldness, with utterance, with power, as they spoke. That's why Peter spoke with power, because there's a link there between prayer and boldness and utterance. So I put, I remember when Jesus, Jesus came to, to Nazareth, the Bible says they were astonished at his words of grace and power. But where had, had he been for, for 40 days before he came in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, to Nazareth, to speak? He had been praying in the desert and fasting. We we'll see here in Acts chapter uh, 4 and verse 29. James and Peter come, or John and Peter, come back from being threatened for preaching. And when they come back to the congregation, we don't see them having a pity party because they were threatened. We see them having a prayer party. Amen. they're, They're praying. And look how they pray in verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants protection from the threatenings. Is that what they said? No. They prayed and said, grant unto thy servants not protection, but with all boldness they may speak the word. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Verse 33, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Great power was given to the apostles. You may say, well, uh, that was just for the apostles. No, then the Bible says that great grace was given on all of them. They came out of that congregation witnessing with boldness. What are you saying, Brother Clint? That's what we need. That's what Paul was asking for. He is asking that the door of utterance would be open, that the people of God would speak with boldness. Now, let's go back to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter six. Remember when Paul was asking for prayer? He said, pray. Look what this is something that uh, it's, it's good to pray for us missionaries. Amen. But once again, I cannot reach 22 million people. I can't even reach 400,000 people. Me and my family, we can't do it. It takes a lot of people to do it. And, and, and what are you saying, Brother Clinton? Well, let's read verse 18 again. Praying always with all prayer and supplication the spirit and washing therein too with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. What saints? When it comes to missions for the saints that are in our missionary churches. I can't reach 400,000 people, but we have a sure we have a good group of people there in that church that can be doing it. Amen. In fact, they can do a better job than I can because they know the language. We need to be praying for the people on the mission field, the souls that are saved and are growing in the Lord, that God gives them utterance to see people saved. We would be surprised how we could change the dynamics of a church in Mexico, a ministry in Mexico, because of our prayers. Remember what we read? Uh, uh, let's, back, let's, go, uh, let's go back there if, uh, to Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3. What did he pray for? Remember what he prayed for? Pray that the word of God might have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. That word free course in the Greek is talking like a mighty river. Uh, like a dam when it's burst and the water just comes f- rushing through and uh, it was like the Johnstown uh, uh, flood. It was a flood back in the 18th 19th century. I was reading about it in a book when I was at a bookstore not too long ago. And that just that flood of water just comes through and, 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 and it went through the John, Johnstown, Johnstown there in Pennsylvania Houses were knocked over. Uh, uh, I, I, there's a picture that I took a picture of in, in the book, and it's got a house on its side, a two-story house, with a trunk going through it. That's the power that God wants us, the Word of God, to have, to, to, to be like a mighty rushing river, just knocking over, we could say pulling down strongholds. Where do we see that at? Well, go with me to Second Corinthians chapter 10. We just got done talking about praying in Ephesians 6. You know what that's at the end of? That's the end of Paul talking about the armor of God. A lot of times when we talk about the armor of God, we talk about the defensive armor, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. But we forget at the end, you know, there's not just one. People say there's only one offensive weapon mentioned in the armor of God. That's not true. There's the word of God, amen, which is the sword of the spirit. But then what's the next thing that Paul says? Praying. There's two weapons there. There's the word of God coupled with prayer. What can they both do together? We'll look at here is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll see what they can, these weapons can do. Verse 4 For the weapons of a warfare are not carnal, but mighty like that mighty rushing river that we just read about, that the word of God can, just like a mighty river, uh, it, can, it can pull down strongholds, just like a river can knock down buildings and, and, and strongholds in the hearts and minds of people. Look at verse five, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Remember what we talked about? People's hearts can be hardened. Why are their hearts hardened? Because Satan establishes strongholds in the hearts and minds of people. But the mighty word of God can pull down those strongholds when we're praying as we ought to pray. That the word of God may have free course. That's the mighty weapon of prayer that we have. And that's the mighty weapon of prayer that we as missionaries need for churches in the states to use that weapon to see people saved and give us the door of utterance. And then there's one more door. It's the quaking door. The quaking door. What would that be talking about? Well, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. I'll explain. Matthew chapter 9, we have Jesus also asking. He's really commanding that we pray for the mission, for the mission field. That we pray for laborers. and Matthew chapter 9... Jesus is going from village to village, city to city. Imagine him weary, weary feet, weary throat, as it seems like he's doing it all by himself. But the apostles, Pastor, well, at that time, the apostles were just disciples. They weren't apostles until the next chapter. So they were just disciples hearing hearing him preach. What about John the Baptist? He was in jail. Jesus was the only one. He was doing it all. That's how we missionaries feel like a lot of times. We're, it seems like we're doing it all. He sees the multitude just like we missionaries see the multitude. He's moved with compassion. He's moved with compassion for several reasons. Look at it. He's moved because of the, he sees the multitude as fainting. Oh, and we're in Mexico City. We see the people as fainting. We see them burdened with their sin. We see them burdened with their guilt. We see their lives are a mess just like they are here in the States. Believe me, they're just as much as a mess as they are here. The other day, uh, a, a few weeks ago, I performed a wedding. I flew down to Mexico City, performed a wedding. I was talking to one of the, the family of the groom. They said, "We've never been to a wedding in our lives." Imagine that—forty-some years old, never had been to a wedding in their life. And I said, "Well,", well he, I said, "Well, you never been to one in a church, no, because we're Catholic." And I said, "Well, don't they have Catholic weddings?" And I said, "We've never been to one." All their lies. I said, yeah, I know a lot of people, uh, a, a lot of people go to the justice of peace. And he said, not even that. And that's the problem. Not even that. Their houses, their families are built on, on quicksand from the very beginning. Their homes are a mess. Their lives are a mess. Families are broken before they can even, even get started. And they're fainting, cumbered about with the sin and the, all the problems are a result of their sin. And they're scattered about looking for answers and they can't find it. And we have the answer, but there's a lack of laborers. A lack of laborers. The Bible says there's sheep without a shepherd because there's no shepherd to guide them. How sad. And that's why Jesus, full of compassion, says unto the disciples, a harvest truly is plenteous. But the laborers are few. And oh, how few they are. You know, Seventy years ago, when the world had four billion on this planet, we had 100,000 missionaries going out from the United States. And that's counting Catholics and everybody. You know, we have twice as many people now, eight billion. You know how many people we have leaving the United States? You're probably thinking, well, let's do the math. 200,000. No, 29,000. One third of the people to reach twice as many people. There's a shortage of laborers. That's why Christ says in verse 38, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. And that word pray in in Spanish is beg ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. He is telling churches to beg that there be more laborers. Maybe that's the problem. We're not begging enough. Maybe there's not a desperation that there ought to be. God wants to send the laborers. Why aren't there more laborers being sent than from our Bible colleges and from our churches? Why aren't there more young people going out into the mission field? That's a good question. I believe it's because there's a need to pray for a quaking door. What's that, Pastor, Brother Clint? Well, turn with me, please, to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, we see a quaking door. A quaking door. And this quaking door needs to take place in churches all over America. You see here, Isaiah, in the temple. And if there's any place, we're gonna see young people call, they better be in the temple, amen? They need to be in the church. They need to be in the word of, under the word of God. That's where it's gonna happen, in the, in the church. That's what happened with Isaiah. He was in the temple. And in the year that the king Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphim, each one with six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. Here's a seraphim. If we would see seraphim today, we would be hiding in fear. These same seraphim, they're hiding their eyes from a thrice holy God. As his train fills the temple there. And They cry out one another, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Then the Bible says the posts of the door move at the voice of him that cries. The quaking doors. The house of God is filled with smoke with the the glory of God. And what's the result? What's the result in Isaiah's heart? He says, woe is me for I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of an unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We see the result of, of Isaiah seeing the Lord high and lifted up as he really is. The first thing that we see is he, he responds with, 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 with uh, uh, awe and reverence. There's a lot of that missing today in churches. Amen. Especially among our young people, an awe and reverence of God. And then he responds with humility. Woe is me, I am undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. Oh, that we'd have more people in our churches that would have that humility. I am a wicked sinner. And they would realize their sin and how their sin has been purged, as it says in verse 7. And their iniquity has been taken away. And then he, the other result is surrender. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom shall I go for us? Then said he, here am I, send to me. A quaking door experience. So let me tell you, this is a quaking door experience is not going to come just from Pastor Spearbeck preaching. It's not. I have to be honest, it's not going to come from my preaching either. It's not just going to be from preaching. It has to be God that has to do the work. It has to be God that, quakes, that brings that quaking door experience in the hearts of young people. It has to be God that shakes some hearts of some young people and say that, so that they say, Here am I, Lord, send me. That's something I can't do. That's something Pastor Spearbeck can't do. That's not something that Pastor Harvey could do. It's God that's got to do it. But we have to pray that God does it. We have to beg that God does it. If we're going to see more people called to the mission field, we need to be begging God that it gives some young people a quaking door experience. As they get their eyes off this smartphone and get their eyes on God. Then God will call them. How can they hear? If they're not paying attention, oh, pray that God shakes them that they get their attention. That's what a man named a pastor 200 years ago did. His name was Jonathan Edwards. He had a burden for his young people. They weren't reading, looking at things in a smartphone, they were reading stuff they shouldn't have been reading in literature. And they were worldly as young people are today. But God did a work when he started praying, and the people of the church started praying. And revival broke out. The revival that not only broke out in his church, but that revival spread throughout the United States, and that's what changed the history of our country. And that's what we need. We need some of that again. We need a quaking door experience. We need to be praying that our people will have a quaking door experience, a door of utterance opened, a door of effectual open on the mission field. And we just need to be praying. The Bible says continue in prayer, keep on praying with. Striving prayers, concerted prayers, praying in the spirit, effectual, fervent prayers, praying specifically that God produces a desired effect. Last of all, I want to finish with an illustration. Some years ago, the record of a wonderful work of grace in connection with one of the stations of the China Inland Mission attracted a good deal of attention. Now, the China Inland Mission was a mission board back in China, back in the 19th century. The head of it was Hudson Taylor himself. But here it says that there was a wonderful work of grace in connection with one of the many stations, preaching stations, in the China Inland Mission there in China. That attracted a good deal of attention, more than in other parts of China. And it continues to write, both the number and spiritual character of the converts have been far greater than at other stations, where the consecration of the missionaries have been just as great at the more fruitful place. And so this place was seeing more success than other places in China, even though they weren't better missionaries than other places. I, I sometimes wonder, why has God blessed our ministry there in Mexico City so much compared to perhaps other missionaries even in Mexico? And I think this is the reason why. It's not because we're better missionaries. Look, 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 Let me continue to read. This rich harvest of souls remained a mystery until Hudson Taylor, on a visit to England, discovered the secret. At the close of one of his addresses, a gentleman came forward to make his acquaintance. In the conversation which followed, Mr. Taylor was surprised at the accurate knowledge the man possessed concerning this inland China mission. How is it, Mr. Taylor asked, that you are so conversant with conditions of that work? Oh, he replied, the missionary there and I are old college mates. Praise God for good old college mates. Amen. For years we have regularly corresponded. He has sent me names of inquirers and converts and these have I daily taken to God in prayer. At last the secret was found. A man praying at home, praying definitely, praying, effectually we could say amen, praying daily for specific cases among the heathen. This is the real intercessory missionary and this is what we need to take place in our churches. Oh, that you would get a hold of God and say, God, give me a missionary for which you want me to pray. Maybe take one of these prayer letters, amen, and get a copy of them and pray for the need specifically for a missionary. Maybe you could change the dynamics of some ministry somewhere. Oh, we can complain about missionaries and say, what's going on with them? How come they're not seeing any fruit? Well, how can we expect them to see fruit if we're not praying for them, amen? Oh, we need to be praying. James Gilmore, missionary in Mongolia. He said, my creed leads me to think that prayer is efficacious or effectual." There's that word again. And surely a day's asking God to overrule all events for good. God, good is not lost. It wouldn't be a day lost if we just spent a day in prayer. Amen. Oh, but we're so busy. He continues to write. There's still a, still there's a great feeling that when a man is praying, he's doing nothing. Isn't that true? Don't we sometimes get tempted to think we're not really accomplishing much when we're praying? We're thinking, oh, there's something else I could be doing rather than just praying. In fact, he, he says that, he addresses that. He says, and this feeling makes us give undue importance to work. Not that work isn't important. We should work, especially for, the, for God. But it says, and this feeling, he says, and this feeling makes us give undue importance to work, sometimes even to the hurrying over or even to the neglect of prayer. Okay, God, I'm going to pray. I, I, I've got five minutes, okay? I'll give you five minutes because I've got plenty of work to do. Even good stuff for the Lord, amen? But so many times we're so busy we don't have time to pray. Do not we rest in our day too much on the arm of flesh? Cannot the same wonders be done now as of old? Oh, yes, they can. We just need to pray as they did of old. Do not the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth still to show himself strong on behalf of those who put their trust in him? Oh, yes, he does. Oh, that God would give me more practical faith in him, Gilmore said. Where is now the Lord God of Elijah? He is waiting for Elijah to call on him. Remember that saying of Elisha when he comes to the River Jordan and he takes the mantle of Elijah. And he says, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And he strikes the river and the river opens. Well, the Lord God of Elijah is still here. question is, where are the Elijahs that will pray like Elijah? Fervent prayer, effectual prayer like Elijah. Oh, that's what we need in our church today. That's what our ministry needs. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts about the need to pray, to pray for effectual door on the mission field, that open oh, Open doors of opportunity would open up for a missionary. So many are struggling. Maybe they just need a mission, some people that will just pray that God would bust the door open for some of these missionaries. Oh, maybe they, we need to be praying. Or not maybe I know we need to be praying for a door of utterance to be given to not just a missionary, but as people in their, in their churches, that they might speak with power on the mission field to see souls saved in that beachhead that's been, that's been given them as they go out on patrol and as they look for enemy lines to break through those enemy lines and rescue those captives that are behind those gates of hell. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would give us also a, a burden that beg God, that he would send forth labor, that he would give them a quaking door experience where they would be woken up to the need of people around the world, oh God, that you would speak to our hearts about the need to pray and to pray continually, specifically, daily, and with fervor. And Lord, what 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 this what this church could do in the area of missions is they would give their heart to missions. Lord, I pray that you give our, their heart to praying for missions. I pray these things in your name, Amen. With